Welcome to Grounded in the Middle, where stories of taking root in the small moments are shared from experiences living in the country and restoring our 185-year-old farmhouse. I am so glad you're meeting me here today in the middle. Well, hey there, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Grounded in the Middle. I am Danielle Folk, your host. I hope that you had a wonderful weekend. I have to give you my middle update and what's new out here. It's so funny. My daughter, who is 10 years old, she said not too long ago that there's this red fish in our pond. And my husband and I were kind of like really a red fish because we've seen the grass carp. We have gotten bass out of the pond and and we have yet to see a red fish. Now, that's not to say we didn't believe her because she is 10 and she loves animals and wildlife. And we do have an array of critters that come and go from the pond. We get those who come by for a quick drink, like the deer and our fox that hangs out here. We've got some water snakes, snapping turtles. We've got box turtles and we've got uh, Jeremiah, the bullfrog as well as the little spring peepers and such that sing. <laughs> but a redfish, we hadn't seen one yet. So I was looking out the window and it caught my eye the other day. I saw something red. Now, when I looked at it, I thought, okay, I wonder if this is the redfish, but it kind of looks furry. So I watched it and I called Caroline in and I said, Caroline, Come see this thing. And sure enough, she says, that's my red fish. Well, it turns out that her red fish, who just so happened to be collecting these long reeds of grass, <laughs> was really a muskrat. And if you look up a muskrat, they kind of look like a beaver or like a groundhog, but they have this really long rat-like black tail. And there are these semi-aquatic animals. Anyways, we of course had to look them up on YouTube. So we've learned that we have a muskrat and it is in the side of our, uh, the bank of the pond. And I guess it's not real good to have them in your pond because they can wink, uh, weaken the bank. But where she's at looks pretty good to me. She's very busy though every day collecting reeds. And then she goes down underwater and then comes back with none of them. So I have no idea what she's doing down there or if she's had babies. But she's very busy in the pond. Um, our, our red fish is, <laughs> a.k.a. a muskrat. So that's what's kind of new around here in the middle aside from... It's warmed up and spring is certainly here. So it's a beautiful time of year. But I wanted to share something with you. Last month, I had the opportunity to attend an event called Friends of Whitewater Shaker Annual Meeting. And I got to go with one of the first people that I made friends with when we moved out here five years ago when I was researching my home. And so I have to say that the house has given me a really neat gift in liking and enjoying history, something that I never really enjoyed before. But I truly enjoy the local history, and so getting to go to this event with her was really fun. But if you're not familiar with Shakers, they were a religious group that formed in the 18th century in Northwest England. And they were people who had been Quakers. 
And so they ended up coming to the United States in the 1780s and they formed these small communities. Now, you might think of Shaker Furniture when you hear, um, hear that word. And they were known for that as well as their architecture, uh, their simple lifestyle and their music and also technological innovations. In the mid 19th century though, there was between two and 4,000 Shaker believers, which were living in all but 18 small communities. Now, only 20 minutes away from our home is the Friends of Whitewater Shaker Village, and it's located in New Haven, Ohio, and it was the fourth and last Shaker community established in the state in 1825 on just 40 acres of land. And it was a typical Shaker village. It had um, a north community, a center, and then like a south. And they constructed their buildings from logs, which eventually were replaced with the typical Shaker clapboard and then brick buildings. But the first brick building, the meeting house that was built here in 1827, it served multiple functions for their community. The first floor of the building was used for religious services. And if you've ever seen or gone into an old building that has that pegged rail that's kind of high up on the wall, it's wood and it's kind of set into the plaster with those pegs, they actually had that in the bottom floor and in their homes too so that you could hang up the chairs so you could make room for dancing and worship and such. But they then had on the second floor living quarters and then on the third floor was the attic. And their attics, at least the one here near us, has a really beautiful attic. It's not what you typically would think. Really cool. So essentially three full floors to use. But at the turn of the 20th century, there was a visitor to the Whitewater Shaker Village. His name was A.D. Emmerich, and he proclaimed it to be the best collection of Shaker buildings in private hands in America. And wouldn't you know, just 20 minutes away, it's also the only brick meeting house left in America today. Something else I thought was really cool because I didn't know much about them was the Whitewater's economy was comprised of selling seeds and manufactured brooms and mats. And in addition to those duties, the members of the society also worked in the milk house, in the barn, such as like the turkey barn or the chicken barn, and they worked in the laundry house or in other capacities to help sustain their community. But because of their hard work in these industries, the Whitewater Shaker community, it really prospered in the uh, 20th century. And so having shared all of that with you, there's one word that comes to mind immediately when I think of this small community that grew to thousands. And the word that I thought of was strength. To think of the strength it took in a time where society liked everyone to kind of conform, you know, to how things always had been, uh, they, they stepped out and went against the grain. And they were likely taking some form of risk in doing so, was, whether that was being judged or, um, you know, pushing away from family. But I also thought, but could you imagine the strength it took to physically live back then? Where 
the Shakers had to build their communities. They had to establish them from the ground up. They had to find the land, prepare the land for crops, put the crops in, build the fences, design and plan and build uh, their homes and their meeting houses. They established buildings that they did work in, in addition to those living in meeting houses. And they worked without the modern conveniences we had today. That takes a lot of strength. So while there is certainly a vast amount of people who labor physically every day around the world, I think in addition to the physical labor, something that's unique to our era is the mental strength we must have to exist in today's world. Like I discussed in my podcast, Grace, media kind of tails us throughout our day, whether we like it or not. It's there when we turn on our TV or when we hop in the car and head to work on the radio. And we also get push notifications that find their way to our phones. And it's there, of course, when we're scrolling through social media and ads. And with it being so easily accessible and in a way able to draw our attention to it, you know, through these modes... I can't help but think I'm not the only one in this world out of all the people who may be a bit sensitive to what's projected on us. And it has to do with image. That I mean, it's an easy one to pick out, but think about it. I mean, at 36, I can tell you I am sick and tired of seeing the commercials on weight loss, tummy tucks, facelifts, and diet pills. And any and all modes of communications of these things to the world are like, they're like a ball and chain that I personally continue to fight to ignore. But somehow the cleverness of these messages poke and they just gnaw at me. They leave that inkling of self-doubt that likes to linger and kind of toy with thoughts throughout the day, making, you know, making me question, am I enough? It's like a mental warfare that so many of us are exposed to. And that's just one example. Now, this past week, I was catching up on a handful of Bob Goff podcast, his Dream Big podcast. And listening to podcasts has become a standard practice for me when I hop on the mower. And I use it as a time to refuel myself. And now that it's mowing season again, I await the opportunity you know, for next week to get to do the same. And while I can't remember who exactly said this and from which episode, I tied together a couple things that I had heard in his podcast that were mentioned. And my takeaway is something I wanted to share with you. It was explained that we as people, we will take time to train our bodies physically, whether we are lifting weights or running or walking, we will train for, say, a 10K or a marathon or, gosh, if you're really ambitious, like our veterinarian, an Ironman. He's done like nine of them and then six halves. (laughs) But we also must train our minds. We have to strengthen them for what we are experiencing and enduring in this world. And I hadn't thought about that before. Have you ever thought about the need to strengthen or to strength train your mind? 
I regret having not written it down or saving it on my phone, but I also, that same week, I also came across some, it said, the last thing that we are tasked to do as Christian is to make our minds more like God. So in addition, you know, our bodies and our hearts, but also our mind. It was in that moment that I felt like I understood kind of the collection of big and small moments that have grounded us out here in the middle. And I'm telling you what, I am a work in progress and there is so much to discover and there is so much more to learn. But I feel as though maybe we were drawn out here to the middle of nowhere to maybe become more grounded in our faith. I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what is ahead or at the top of those stairs. What's in the next chapter? But I'm kind of putting together some pieces that I was sent out here to clear my head, to get my head straight. As you know, it has not been pretty out here in the middle. There's been a lot of unearthing and restoring occurring with our within ourselves outside of what we knew what we were signing up for with restoring our house. But our mental strength has been being trained over the past five years through these challenging situations, but also through really fun things such as researching and getting to strengthen, you know, my mind in that way. But also in the rare moments of stillness. Have you ever found yourself in a season where you have just been mentally stretched I'm not sure about you, but during these times, I often feel, I feel weak and I often feel like I'm losing control, which can lead to feelings of failure. And what I have learned though, is you've got to keep pushing forward. And the only heavy lifting that we really need to do is between our ears and that's shifting our mindset. Now, this can be easier for some and harder for others, depending on what kind of mindset you have. You can have fixed mindset or you can have a growth mindset. If you have a fixed mindset, you may believe that you were born into, you know, say your talent and that no matter how hard you work, no amount of effort will make someone better at something. If you have a growth mindset, you believe people can improve if we're willing to try. If I asked you to guess which one of these mindsets were more successful in an array of areas in life, which do you think it would be? If you guessed growth mindset, you're right. By learning from mistakes and not dwelling and participating in negative self-talk, we give ourselves the opportunity to push forward. Think of it this way. For every negative thought you have, it's a down payment on failure. But with every positive thought is an investment in your future. You know, it's been said before that it's better to fail trying than to fail watching too. I bet anything that the Shakers who came from England, they probably had a lot of physical, 
training that they had to do, but also a lot of mental. And it's nothing new. We are just finding ourselves in a day and age that has different challenges than what came before us. It's just becoming aware of what we're kind of up against every day. Sometimes it's what is reaching us on our phones and on TV. And then sometimes it's how we've been programmed. It's ourselves. As you head into this week, I hope you will take time to strengthen yourself mentally. I hope you will be more mindful and intentional with how you speak to yourself. And when you find yourself heading into maybe some negative self-talk, just stop. Stop and think about whether or not you would say the same thing to a friend. And if you have, say, an opportunity present itself to you, and you're usually quick to say, what if I fail? Stop yourself before completing the thought and ask, what's the best thing that could happen? I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you will rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast and share with those you know. And if you'd like to see more of what life is like in the middle, you can find me on Instagram at Farmhouse Storyteller or head to my website, farmhousestoryteller.com. And remember, while the middle is not always the most comfortable place to linger in, it can sometimes create the most memorable pivot in life. The pivot that had to happen for everything else to fall into place. I'll see you next time.